Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Attorney General Letitia James has sued former President Donald Trump, his children, and his company. WAMC's Ian Pickus has more. Capping a three-year investigation, James, a Democrat running for her second term, called a press conference Wednesday in New York City promising a major announcement. Falsifying business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, and engaging in a conspiracy to commit each of these state law violations. At fault, according to James, are Trump, his adult children, Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Eric, and two longtime company executives. James says the Trump Organization committed business fraud involving some of their most prized assets, including properties in Manhattan, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. And she says Trump falsely inflated his net worth by billions to mislead lenders. Those inflated values were used on Mr. Trump's statements almost every year. All told, we uncovered more than 200 examples of false and misleading asset valuations that were used on his statements. The pattern of fraud and deception that was used by Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization for their own financial benefit is astounding. In addition to civil charges, James is also seeking to bar the Trump family members named in the complaint from ever running a business in New York and ban the former president and the Trump Organization from entering into any real estate transactions and applying for bank loans for five years. James, who is also seeking $250 million in damages, says she's referred possible criminal and federal charges to the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District's office and the IRS. Claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. It's the art of the steal. And there cannot be different rules for different people in this country or in this state. And former presidents are no different. An attorney for the former president dismissed the filing as an abuse of power by James, saying it is meant to advance her political agenda. On his Truth Social account, Trump writes that the probe is another witch hunt by a racist attorney general who failed in her run for governor. Um, They've uh, basically um, have attempted to delay um, this investigation um, and two two judges have dismissed those claims that this was a political witch hunt. Um, So I give no credence to those um, uh, to the names that he referred he has referred uh, to me. and two, um, he's, Mr. Trump, the Trump Organization, as well as his family, will still have to deal with this complaint. They will still have to respond. They will still have to respond to the allegations therein. Um, and so if, in fact, he decided to move to Florida, the reality is he still has to deal with the great state of New York and respond to the complaint. It's far from the only legal trouble facing the former president as he prepares for a third run for the White House. The Department of Justice has been investigating Trump's handling of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election result. The Trump Organization is facing an October criminal trial, 
accused of steering untaxed perks to top executives, including Alan Weisselberg, who pleaded guilty in August and must testify as part of the agreement. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is in the midst of his own criminal probe of Trump's business. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. With just over six weeks until Election Day, the two candidates for governor of New York still have not both agreed to a single debate. As the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, Republican challenger Lee Zeldin said this week he won't agree to the one that Governor Kathy Hochul has said yes to because he wants multiple debates. Zeldin, who's a congressman from Long Island, says with absentee ballots due to be sent out this week, it's imperative that Governor Hochul agree immediately to hold multiple debates in several different forums. Hochul has agreed to just one debate to be held October 25th. We have a lot to talk about. And I don't believe that one hour at the very end of October, over a month after voting has started, that a single debate does this process any justice or respect. As a result, Zeldin says he is for now not going to accept the debate offer from Spectrum News and New York One. Zeldin praised the cable channel, saying they have a solid debate track record, but he says many New Yorkers do not subscribe to cable. He also wants debates that are available on broadcast channels statewide. Zeldin says there's a lot to talk about with his opponent, including the state's high taxes, rising crime rates, and the controversial 2019 bail reform law that ended many forms of cash bail. He says he also wants to debate the lack of broadband access, congestion pricing in New York City, and whether to end the state's ban on hydrofracking. He accuses Hochul, who has substantially more campaign cash than Zeldin and who's ahead in the polls, of employing a Rose Garden strategy. I'm calling on Governor Hochul. Come out of hiding. On Wednesday, Hochul's campaign issued a statement saying that the governor, who is seeking a full term in office, has agreed to the one debate. It also pointed out that she already engaged in two other debates during the Democratic primary earlier this year. The campaign says the governor will also appear in other public forums or speaking engagements related to the governor's race in the coming weeks. Hochul on Thursday spoke virtually to the state Democratic Party's organizational meeting. She did not address the debates, though, and she didn't take questions from the media. The governor did touch on two campaign issues, Zeldin's positions against gun control and abortion. She says they show he's too extreme to be governor. Someone who is trying to take away women's rights, opposed to abortion, even in the case of incest, rape, or the life of the mother. I mean, this is New York State, for God's sakes. Also, being opposed to our common sense gun safety laws that were put in place after the massacre of our neighbors in Buffalo who are simply out there shopping. Hochul says she couldn't attend the Democratic Party meeting in person because she had to instead appear with President Joe Biden for a briefing on relief efforts for storm damage in Puerto Rico. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustino. 
joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartuck, New York's Attorney General, that's Letitia James, of course, sued former President Donald Trump and his company, alleging business fraud involving some of their most prized assets, including properties in Manhattan, Chicago, and Washington, D.C., the lawsuit filed Wednesday in state court in New York is the culmination of the Democrats' three-year civil investigation of Trump and the Trump Organization. Three of Trump's adult children, Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Eric Trump, were also named as defendants, along with two longtime company executives, Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney. The attorney general cited staggering fraud, apparently claiming Trump lied 200-plus times about his assets. Trump lawyer, meanwhile, says the lawsuit is neither focused on the facts nor the law, and, of course, Trump has accused the Attorney General of politicizing the whole thing from the very beginning. Well, what do you think he's going to say? I mean, is he going to say, guilty, I did it? The fact is that he is what he is. Whether or not this country has the ability and the guts to do what's right and to hold everyone, every single person responsible for what they're doing, is another whole matter. I wouldn't bet on it, and we'll have to take a look and see. Well, the great age-old question, to debate or not to debate? In the gubernatorial race, the Republican candidate, Lee Zeldin, after weeks of calling Governor Kathy Hochul scaredy-cat for not committing to a debate with him, is reluctant to participate in the loan debate Hochul has agreed to because he said it would take place too late in the election calendar, not be broadcast to a wider audience, and doesn't offer enough time to discuss enough issues. We've seen gamesmanship over debates in gubernatorial contests before. We have, and the person who is leading takes one view, and the person who is behind takes another. Now, in this case, um, it's quite clear that the Republicans have some real problems in winning this election. So the nomenclature or the discussion of debates becomes very important because some candidates like to paint the other ones as unwilling to practice democracy. So, look, I mean, it is New York is an apple pie, and I think we like apple pie in New York. Well, the apple pie could be going stale in New York City as a result of the $10 billion deficit that's looming there. You spoke with the state controller, Tom DiNapoli, this yep. week, and he says that the pandemic really, really impacted the city, and that has caused its slower rebound, essentially, but... He also said on a wider state level that while New York is still producing higher tax revenues, projections have been lowered. There's now a projected budget gap where there wasn't before after all that federal money came in because of the pandemic. And we see what's happening with the Fed and rates and a potential recession coming. So DiNapoli did in many ways sound a warning. Which is his job. He is the controller and a darn good controller he is. And DiNapoli is watching and warning. And that's all he can do. Look, we are in a tough situation here. We have the pandemic. We've had all of the threats that we can bear. And New York is a place where uh, virtually anything can happen and quickly. So good for him. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartoff. <laughs> listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina.
As the Northeast braces for an expensive winter heating season, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is pushing for an additional $1 billion for the Home Energy Assistance Program in upcoming temporary budget talks. WAMC's Ashley Hupfel has more. While customers are seeing prices fall at the gas pump, fuel costs have risen dramatically in the past year due to several different factors, including the pandemic, inflation, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. National Grid predicts home heating costs will rise 39% this winter, an increase of about $50 more per month over last year. In front of two long vacant downtown Troy buildings on River Street, now being demolished and reconstructed into energy-efficient apartments, Schumer said Monday it will hurt customers already struggling to survive. We all know the pandemic still is wreaking, even though it's you know declined dramatically, in the number of illnesses, deaths, thank God, it's still wreaking havoc on our supply chains across the globe, and it's impacting every industry. The shutdown of the global economy, or the the advance of the show of the global economy, is not at the pace that we need. The waves of supply and demand fluctuations translate into costs and inflation. Home heating is one of those victims. The New York Democrat says the federal low-income home energy assistance program is already out of funding. To help families heat their homes this winter, Schumer is launching a push to add $1 billion to the federal home energy assistance program in the upcoming temporary budget bill or continuing resolution, which needs to be passed by the end of the month to avoid a government shutdown. Schumer says he will also push to add an additional $4 billion to the program in December to the full federal funding bill. Last year, in Albany County, 19,000-plus households received assistance and another 1,000 received emergency assistance. Here in Rensselaer County, 11,300 received home assistance and another 2,000 emergency assistance. In Saratoga County, 14,000 received energy assistance and another 3,000 emergency And in Schenectady County, 12,000 received home energy assistance and 848 emergency. Okay? So we need to pass this. Troy residents Beverly Hickman and Kathy Baker spoke at the press conference to explain how their heating costs have increased. Baker said she had to choose between paying her home heating bill and paying her Medicaid bills to get her prescriptions. They say they're willing to work with uh, um, people of low income. But the second that you can't meet their strict guidelines, they'll shut you off. And as, as she said, a landlord has the right to throw you out. And we badly need this program, not just in Troy, but in all in New York State, right. because National Grid is really just gouging everybody. And somebody needs to put a cap on it. I brought my bills, and my bills have actually tripled since 2020. Spokesperson Patrick Stella responded that National Grid works with government agencies and programs like HEAT. He added in a statement, National Grid does not profit from the increase in commodity costs that we have forecast for this coming winter heating season. National Grid purchases the commodity of natural gas and electricity on behalf of our customers and passes that cost on without markup. Troy Mayor Patrick Madden, a Democrat, says the funding to rebuild the two Taylor apartment buildings on River Street would not have been possible without the American Rescue Plan funds, and he hopes further federal funding will help ease the cost of utility prices for residents. For too many among us, tough decisions lie ahead. 
heat or food, heat or prescriptions. That's an immoral calculus and a shameful reality in our country with all its wealth and promise. It was also Schumer's first public appearance after Hurricane Fiona hit Puerto Rico Sunday afternoon. Schumer says ahead of the storm's landfall, President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration for Puerto Rico. The declaration covers the costs of medical care, disaster operations, and the purchase of food, water, ice, and medicine. I've let FEMA know I want those funds to flow to Puerto Rico ASAP as quickly as possible. People are suffering. People, it, it's, it's an untenable situation. Lives are at stake when there's no electricity, no way to get food, no way to get medicine. We need to move very quickly. New York and Puerto Rico are both in FEMA's Region 2. Reporting from Troy, this is Ashley Hupfel for WAMC News. A new pathogen has been detected in the Adirondacks. Beech leaf disease has the potential to spread rapidly. The Adirondack Park Invasive Plant Program held a seminar recently bringing together plant and forest scientists to discuss what is known about the pathogen and promote a citizen science project to identify and track it. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley was there and filed this report. Beech leaf disease was first detected in North America in Ohio in 2012. And although it has been spreading, scientists do not know a lot about it. New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Forest Health Specialist Maria Muscoli says beech leaf disease is the latest threat to the American beech tree. It can kill mature trees in six to ten years and younger trees within a few years. It raised alarm this year when it was found in Herkimer County, the first of 30 counties in the state with the disease in the Adirondacks. In New York, DEC Forest Health first started hearing reports of striping on leaves and thinning beech canopies in 2017. We first started tracking it as beech leaf disease in 2018. At that time, the only detections were in the most southwestern part of the state. Each year since, we've seen a significant expansion of the disease range. So far this year, we have found beech leaf disease in 15 new counties. The biology and vectors of the disease are not well understood. Researchers have found that a nematode causes symptoms of the disease, but they are not sure if it is the only cause or if other pathogens are factors. Muscoli said they also don't know how the disease spreads. Birds or human spread are two theories. The first time BLD is found in a new county, we send beech leaf samples to the Cornell Plant Disease Diagnostic Clinic to confirm whether nematodes are present. After that, we confirm new locations with photos of leaf symptoms. The ideal time to survey for the disease is late May through the fall. Partnerships for Regional Invasive Species Management, or PRISM, programs across the state and the DEC are implementing a citizen science program to collect photos of leaf banding to determine where beech leaf disease has spread. New York Natural Heritage Program Invasive Species End User Support Specialist and IMAP Invasives Project team member Mitchell O'Neill said photos of suspected diseased leaves should then be uploaded to New York's IMAP Invasives for positive identification. Good photos are super, super important. So like if you take a, a picture of a beech leaf from the top, you can't really tell if it has beech leaf or not. But if you take a really nice focused picture from the bottom with the sun coming through the leaf, um, then it's much easier to be able to tell 
whether it's beech leaf disease or something else. And it's really important to record those not detected surveys. So if you go out looking for beech leaf disease and you don't see it, please document that because that's really helpful for us to see. Maria Muscali has been working with the Lower Hudson Prism to survey for beech leaf disease. Pretty much every beech tree that they see has it, unfortunately. It's really bad. It just rapidly spreads. And also it, it's in the trees before they show symptoms. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustino. With the entrance of fall in the Northeast comes fall foliage season. Taryn Barley is an associate professor of plant science at Cornell University in Ithaca, and she spoke with the Legislative Gazette's Jim Laboulis about what to expect in New York this year. First, I just want to preface by saying it is always difficult to forecast. So I try my best, but there's so many factors that come into play that it's me against Mother Nature in many ways. So I think, though, um, we are set up for a fairly nice fall foliage color change. I think compared to other years, we might be a little on the early side, but depending where you are in New York. So there's a few areas of New York that have been experiencing some more water limitation and mild drought events, um, particularly western New York, and I know parts of the city and Long Island. So those areas might be a little on the earlier side. Um, The Adirondacks, though, did receive pretty good rainfall this year, so I think they're probably on track for relatively normal timing. And you mentioned those drought conditions in portions of the state. There have been some rather heavy rain events in recent weeks. Does Mm -hmm. that help at all, or is the deficit enough already there and sort of the forecast is set and the trees and the leaves are already on that path? A little of both, I would say. So definitely it does help. And really the main predictor or or kind of environment that we're interested in is really the time right before uh, fall sort of hits. So what kind of condition are the trees in at that state? Um, And so it really kind of depends, you know, how extreme that drought might or might not be and if that those rain events can alleviate um, that particular stress. I can't speak for everywhere locally here, though, around Ithaca. um, We were working out in the forests um, during some of those really heavy rainfalls, and we did notice that it wasn't really enough to replenish the soil moisture. There were still a lot of very dry Uh, locations in the soil. So I don't think we've quite gotten enough to really uh, sort of recharge that soil. And what about weather conditions during the fall foliage season? Does that impact, you know, the colors, the health of the trees? I'm thinking something similar to like warm days and cool nights is great for sap production, right? 
That's right. Yeah. So it does very much have an effect. And um, I don't know, I'm looking out the window of my office right now and it's very cloudy and raining. That's definitely not a type of climate that you're looking for, for really optimizing uh, the foliage. So I would say kind of bright, sunny days, um, not super warm, but a lot of sunshine and nice, cool, uh, cooler nights really help to optimize uh, the fall foliage color. So yes, right around the timing of when the leaves are changing is a very critical time as well. Have there been any noticeable impacts over your know, recent years, say the past decade, of any invasive species that have been harming um, the trees that do produce that strong, beautiful fall foliage for the Northeast? Yeah, so I usually think of, or sort of my go-to tree when I'm thinking about fall foliage, tends to be more of the maples, which they seem to be doing pretty well. Um, as you're probably aware, we have had some uh, invasive species, probably though uh, not really for some of the trees that we really think of as the kind of our go-to popping color changing trees. Um, so for example, I'm thinking of ash trees as one or hemlocks, which of course aren't changing colors, but do provide a very nice contrast, at least in terms of their very deep greens that they maintain within our forests as well. If mm-hmm. you were planning a fall foliage road trip throughout New York State, oh. uh, <laughs> where would you start? Where would you end? What would that track be? Yeah, well, I guess I would start more towards the northern parts of the Adirondacks. It's just because those are the areas that tend to start to turn earlier and first. Um, and and like I said, their, their weather has been pretty good this year, so they should be on track for a relatively normal season. Um, and then I would probably head closer down towards Um, my region uh, here in Ithaca, where we are a little bit later in the season. But like I said, that could be kind of thrown on its head if we don't get um, much moisture in the next few weeks. Um, And if these trees are actually changing faster than they normally would just because of those drought events. So that's a tricky question this year. Yeah, that's hard to say. (laughs) All right. Taryn Bowerly is an associate professor of plant science at Cornell University. Thank you very much for your time and your expertise. No problem. Thank you so much. That's Taryn Bowerly, associate professor of plant science at Cornell University, speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Jim Laboulis. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2238 or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.